You know, the sound of the human voice and the art of storytelling is being rediscovered in 21st century media. My fellow teacher in the Department of Communications and Media at SUNY Oneonta, Gary Wickham, talked with me about the changes in the nature of how people consume audio in the 21st century. Uh, I can remember uh, ordering through Boy's Life a one-watt radio station Oh yeah, that I put together myself, and it, it incorporated an AM frequency from a conventional radio way down in the... Yeah, in the bottom of the dial, and it it had a range of two houses, I think, yeah. uh, in my neighborhood. Yeah. And, and one of my neighbors who lived upstairs would listen to me play records and announce them <laughs> when I was oh my god seven or eight years old. Yeah, I remember that wireless broadcaster they called it. I had a Heath kit, I think I built. I learned how to solder doing that. I'm not never was very good at it. My dad was the engineer, and he could do anything like that. But I was never that talented. Uh, but I remember having one of those wireless broadcasters. My God, it seems like the other day, but, you know, I was a kid, probably 10, 12 years old. Well, I guess we both had that in our blood, and both of us have been in commercial radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which seems to have, um, in some ways, been eclipsed by newer technologies. What's your view of what's happening now in the radio uh, business? You know, I ask my class every semester, do you listen to radio? And, and a few of them do. Most don't. Most don't. You know, I, I remember that we talked about drive time, for example, and why uh, commercials are more expensive in the morning and in and, and, and late afternoon because it, it's drive time. Mm-hmm. Why would people listen to the radio in the morning? Well, because they're on their way to work. They want to know what the weather is. They want to know where traffic is bad. Not that traffic is bad here in Oneana, but, you know, uh, they want to know that. And kids want to know if the schools are going to be open or not. I can remember sitting around the radio waiting to hear if the school was closed or not, you know. And, and it was also um, a music discovery engine. Uh, I, I do remember when um, AM radio called the tune when it came to radio. I'm old enough to remember that. And then uh, in the 70s, AM, FM radios became fairly standard, and there was a shift to FM radio for a lot of music, and that began, and that's how people discovered and and consumed music. Do you remember sitting at night and listening to the radio, whoever the night DJ was, whether yeah. it was Boom Boom, Brannigan, boom, boom, Brannigan. or, or uh, Jack WPTR. Mack? Yep, or Jack, you know. Wild Child. You know, Bud <laughs> Baloo from, uh, from WKBW, and you heard the newest music. Bruce Bradley from WBZ, you heard the newest music, and it was cool. It was cool. But, you know, here's the thing. We listened to AM radio back then, and we didn't really know anything about FM. If if anything was on FM, it was classical music. We weren't listening anyway. Elevator music. Yeah. So uh, it didn't occur to me until many years later that FM can reproduce sound that AM doesn't have the ability to do. You know, and AM radio is also impacted by thunderstorms, you know, fluorescent lights, car noise. FM doesn't have any of those problems. And uh, I don't remember the exact figure, but I want to say it's 10,000, maybe ten or 9,000 hertz is the highest sound that you can transmit on, on AM radio, so you miss all the highs in the song. And uh, as an experiment in class, actually, there's a station down in Sydney that broadcasts in, simulcasts in AM and FM, 
all right, we'll listen to the song on the AM and listen to it on the FM, mm. and, and the quality is so much better on FM. Yeah. But they did call it tune, and that's, that's where you heard the new music. And that's my question to kids today. Where do you get new music? If you don't listen to the radio, where do you get new music? Well, we get it from Spotify or we get it from Pandora. And, you know, Pandora says, uh, you like this song, so you'll probably like this song. Right. So. And uh, it's also changed the economics of the music business because what I'm reading is that the peak of the music business was in 1999 when... They were still selling physical music on pieces of plastic, 12, 12 pieces of music for seventeen ninety five, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they measure in fractions of a penny uh, what the artist and uh, uh, gets uh, as a result of a spin on Pandora, Spotify, oh, yeah. Yeah. or Last FM, or Apple Music. You know, that's... Uh, that's a buddy of mine was an engineer for years and uh, worked for Columbia Records. And he said that Columbia Records really kind of sealed their own fate years ago because they were putting out such garbage. I mean, they would get two good songs and ten throwaways and put out an album. And and suddenly the music business just died. Nobody bought records one year. You know, Christmas was the biggest time to buy music. Hmm. And, and it just died because suddenly people said, well, that's, this is stupid. I'm going to pay... 12 bucks or whatever it is for an album, and it's got two songs on it that I like. Now, today, you just go to iTunes and buy the two songs you like, and you don't bother the other ones. That's right, and that was a that was a major development uh, that also might have had an impact on radio, which is the notion that uh, you could uh, buy whatever ones you wanted. Uh, you could break the album. Uh, you could do singles. And uh, back then, in the early 2000s, I believe it was 2001 that the iPod came out, and iTunes, uh, the year later, you were able to buy a single for 99 cents. Yes. And uh, Apple kept 30 cents of that, and 70 cents went to the record company, and a fraction of that to the artist. And that really changed the nature of how people began to listen to music. They would carry around their own music, and radio began to become less important. Mm -hmm. Radio can provide you with things that you can't get anywhere else. Up-to-date news, up-to-date traffic, uh, weather. Uh, there's there's certain things that I think that are, is important for radio. Now, I still listen. I'm a Red Sox fan, as you well know. So yeah. I listen to Red Sox games all season long on the radio. I, can, like, I have the MLB package. I can watch them on television. I enjoy it. On radio, I, I enjoy the the announcers painting that picture that you, yeah. you don't get. Uh, I love listening to John Sterling and Susan Waldman to, on Yankee games. They paint word pictures for me, mm -hmm. and he's been doing it for thirty years. Um, he, I know in, in the book on Voices of the Game, he's one of the higher-rated announcers. I'm not a big fan of John Sterling's, only because I'm tired of him taking everybody's name and making something else out of it, you know. Yeah, well, he, you know, he does it's that, Glaber, that style. It's Glaber Day. <laughs> yeah. Glaber right. Torres hits a home But run. you remember it. Oh, I remember it. It doesn't make you like it, it any better, though. Well, and yeah. The, and you do hate it. You hate him for doing it, yeah. but you did remember it. Well, it's the same thing in advertising. You stop and think about this as, you, you know, geez, I hate that commercial with flow. And, yeah, but 
you'll remember progressive insurance whether you like flow or not. You that's know? right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what it's, that's what it's all about is yeah. ticking people off and the, forcing them to remember the brand name. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, you and I were involved in trying to save an FM signal that existed here at SUNY Oneonta, and we weren't successful. No. About, what was that? Was that all? That was almost six, seven years ago now. It was. You know, that, that's, that station has quite a history, and, and I'll just give you a little bit about it. Uh, long before my, well, not long before, probably about 2003 or 2004, got Bob Kafarski, who was a... Um, a maintenance worker here, but had an amateur radio license, found out that the low-power window had opened. And without really telling anybody, he applied on behalf of the college and got this license, 104.7, and and, uh, it was a low-power license, and um, it it just kind of sat there. He just got it kind of speculative. Well, Brian Levis, who uh, was here for a while, uh, and I were working in commercial radio, and we got the bright idea of trying to see if we could either buy or lease this signal from the college. Again, this is probably 2003, 2004. And um, we put together a, a, an operating model called the Community Radio Project. And I'll keep in mind, it had to be a not-for-profit. So anything you got was going to be you know, uh, either underwriting or a contribution. And we took that idea to Alan Donovan, who was the president of the college at the time, and Carol Blazina, who was the vice president uh, for community affairs. Alan Donovan and Carol Blazina truly believed that the college had a role to play in, in the city of Oneonta and the community that surrounds it, and believed that the better the community is, the better the college will be. And it it makes sense. Sure. So we negotiated and we talked about this, and finally Alan said, well, why don't we just have you guys come up and run this thing? So they created positions, and Brian and I came up here, and and, and I want to say it was like 2005 we started making this noise about it. Well, in 2006, in June, this area suffered a devastating flood, devastating uh, I'm going to say we fed and housed a couple thousand people up here on campus. Really? That year. Yeah. It was, I mean, people were just displaced. It was all the way from here down to Binghamton. And uh, it became very evident that there was no good way of getting word out to people. For example, the uh, East Sydney Dam, which has been around since the early 50s, um, has never been an issue. There's a lake behind it. And, and somebody driving by the East Sydney Dam for the first time, saw water going over the spillway. It never happened before. Hmm. And he called 911. They picked up over in Delhi for uh, that's Delaware County. And the whole the whole problem was if this dam is indeed failing, then the village of Unadilla is in big trouble. That's the first community down the, down the, down the river. They literally had people driving through Unadilla with bullhorns going, you know, get out of town, hmm. get the higher ground. The dam is breaking. Well, the dam didn't break. The dam didn't break. Nevertheless. But that's how they were communicating things back then. And I was still working in commercial radio at the time, and I was literally, you know, sleepless because you were down in Neawa Park looking at the, the, the flood control stuff down there, or you were down talking to people who had been displaced in the Sixth Ward. And, and it became very evident to everybody, including this college, that you needed a better way to communicate. And that really was the whole thing that sold WUOW 
to both the college and the community was this was something that we could use to benefit the community, something commercial radio wasn't doing. By that point in time, commercial radio was owned by you know outside interests. Local people didn't, there were no longer mom and pop stations here. You know, they were owned by Town, well, it's not Town Square now, but uh, or it is Town Square now, but it was at the time, I think, like Double O Radio or something out of, I don't know, maybe Alabama, somewhere. Hmm. But they had no interest in the local community. So along with the stuff that we bought to put this radio station on the air, we bought an EAS system that allowed the fire chief, the police chief, uh, the mayor, whatever, to dial a number and be on the air, instantly be on the air. Um, it cost us some money, but we made a lot of friends with it. John Nader was the mayor of Oneana, uh, and he demonstrated it, how well it could work. Hmm. And it was, you know, the whole idea was not to make this like a war of the worlds and scare the hell out of everybody, but, right. you know, but we did this and uh, became kind of the community voice yet here at the college. It expanded. It got better. Uh, we affiliated with NPR. And uh, uh, which gave us access to a lot of programming. We also affiliated with Pacifica, which is uh, you know a, a huge alternative network out of uh, That's been Southern California. For a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. And they have a, a they have a station in New York, for example. They have three or four stations. Well, they have, they have a bunch of affiliates around the United States, but they own three or four stations, to include one in New York City. Well, we um, because we had we had the ability to do that. We bought an automation system. Um, and we had access to a lot of music. We bought a bunch of music programming through NPR, and uh, we were able to get on the air pretty quickly. And um, it took off. It took off, and it was, uh, again, it was low-powered. Uh, Todd Foreman always used to like to say you could hear it from Dairy Queen to Price Chopper, but the range <laughs> is a little further than that. But we were on the air probably about two years, and the window opened for full power. So this was low-powered to this begin This was with. a low-power to start with. Uh, we the studios were down in B twenty four and uh, IRC in yeah. the back where our studio is now, and the tower was uh, there was a, an existing tower that the college owned across the street at Job Corps, and so our antenna was on that tower. It gave us pretty good reach down the valley towards Otigo, and and out towards Skenevis um, uh, and, and right along the, the, the Skenevis Creek. So we got we got the. We got the approval for construction permit for full power, full power on a different frequency, uh, 88.5, and uh, we were able to build at um, Hooker Mountain, which is the highest point in Otsego County, by the way, mm-hmm. which gave us coverage into Cooperstown. That would give you a lot of reach. Oh, yeah, Cooperstown, uh, the, the whole uh, eastern end of the county, and then we bought a translator, and put that on that same tower over here behind Job Corps at 91.3. Now, the only downside of this was the SEC requires you to give up the low-power license. So we gave up, ultimately gave up one frequency to get two, and uh, it gave us an unbelievable range. It, great, great reception, both in terms of radio reception, but great reception for the community as well. Yeah, everybody uh, could get it. Local people wanted to get involved. Uh, the Cooperstown Graduate Program got involved because suddenly they had a radio station in Cooperstown they didn't have before. Um, it, it, it really it really got a great reception from everybody except for the new administration. At that point, Alan had retired. Carol had retired. New people were in. 
And, you know... This was 2008 and 9? Eh, probably 2010, I'm going to say. And it was... Uh, they didn't have the same connection to radio that that the other people had. And I don't think they saw it as a, uh, as a benefit to the community. Uh, and they started looking into what they could do with it. Uh, My but, recollection is also that this was... You know, the economy had fallen out of bed in 2008 and 9... And there were fears that we couldn't afford um, what some might have thought of as an extravagance. You know, if it's an extravagance, this is a college that teaches communications. It's one of our, it's a fourth or fifth largest major, depending on, as our Dar used to say, the time of year. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, your, your competition for communication students is Oswego, New Paltz, now Cortland, um, I think Brockport's actually, they all operate radio stations. And I'm not talking about college radio stations. I'm talking about professional-owned radio stations. Think of WRVO and Oswego. Uh, They're really powerful. I mean, you can't go through central New York without picking up one of their stations, and they have several. No, and and a lot of their communication students uh, intern right at that radio station. It's professionally operated, but they use student interns, and, and I think it's a great program. Uh, that was my hope when it became evident that, that the administration was going to dump this. Uh, that was my hope is that the department would wind up with this. Communications, we were communications arts, I think, at the time. We changed our name every couple of years whether we need it or not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my thought was uh, that would be great. So Guyana Tarosian and I put together a, uh, an operating plan for the college, that, for the, the department to take this over. And uh, um, I, you know, Guyana, and I, I don't know if you've talked to her on this thing or not, but uh, she put together an excellent, excellent uh, set of uh, uh, instructional segments that could be used for this. And we were already using uh, works by her students in audio documentary. Uh, Nancy Burnett was back right. here at the time. Nancy yep. had a bunch of students. And so we were already using a lot of student content anyway. And and we had looked into putting together a practicum to run the radio station. And, uh, you know, it, you probably had six or eight or ten or twelve. Or how many kids you could get involved in? Maybe this week they're going to be news reporters, and next week they're going to be board operators, and next week they're, you know, yeah. maybe be out hustling underwriting. Who knows? Yeah. That was, a, that, that was something that I, I didn't mention before. One of the agreements that we had when we went on the air was that we would not do on-air fundraising for the radio station. And as you know, every public radio station exists oh, yeah. on fundraising. They have to do that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we did have some very loyal underwriters, uh, but we never were able to raise the funds directly. So every now and then we get lucky and get a check in the mail you know, from somebody who really liked the programming. Uh, but more likely than not, it was done by uh, Sport Tech or uh, uh, you know uh, the Green Earth uh, Health Food Market, whoever felt that community radio was important, in particular public radio. Yeah, that's where the money came from. Right. Yeah, this would have been a good model, as I say, for uh, for the for the uh, uh, for the department to run the station, but it just didn't work. Well, we do have Woni, but of course. The association with Woni and uh, the communications department is very tenuous at best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There yeah. really isn't one. 
Well, we're fortunate that one of our own is uh, the advisor there now, and, and I do wind up with a lot of wony students in my classes. I know you do too. Yeah. Um, but it's a different model. You know, it's 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 a dinosaur in terms of radio. It's freeform radio, and when you and I were in school, freeform radio was a big deal. Yeah. Today, it doesn't mean much. You know, if, if the, the the guy that's ahead of you might play hard rock, and then you might play hip hop, and the next guy might play country and western, and you know, that's that was a great model years ago. Today, it's not that good a model. Apparently not. No, but they have made a couple of concessions. Uh, I, I remember years ago, if there was a lull in the programming, or there was a lull in, in, in the amount of people willing to have programming, um, you had dead air, or you, you just were off the air for two hours until the next shift came in. They bought an automation system about three or four years ago. So now the station is on, Wony I'm talking about, is on over the summer, uh, you know, with the automation system, which is, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's just basically Windows Media Player. Right. You know, you put a bunch of music in it and some yeah. station IDs and MP, away you go. MP3 files and oh, a, yeah. it'll do a clock for you. Yep. So uh, I think that they, they, they've been able to survive that way. Student Association graciously funds them. Uh, I don't know how much, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, they they do pretty well. And I've always thought of um, the FM station that we were operating and could operate again would be a great learning laboratory for a communications department that wanted to teach public speaking, <laughs> wanted to teach uh, writing for media, uh, news reporting. Uh, I can think of so many ways in which it would be a perfect learning laboratory you know, uh, in the real world. That's that was the whole point of that practice. The idea of that practicum uh, was to do that. Well, for our news service, when we were on the air, uh, we used NPR's hourly newscast, but we had to deal with the local paper, and and they basically provided headline news to us. Uh, they drop a file in at five in the morning or whatever it was, and yeah. by six o'clock that was your morning news. I think they updated it at noon. So you had you had a couple of we at least knew what was in the newspaper I guess and which is in a lot of ways that a lot of times in radio that's where the news comes from anyway right so the old rip and read you know from the uh, the uh, the AP wire uh, the NPR news was good but we had worked a little bit with there's a, a, a community radio station in Roxbury and we talked a little bit about providing, after this is after WOW and off the air, having our students provide news breaks for them, uh, it just never took off. Yeah. And the problem with that is this one was, the station here was pretty much, for that, that time, state of the art in terms of automation. Uh, WIOX, the Roxbury Community Station, uh, which got its license about the same time we did, um, does everything live. They don't want anybody recorded. They want you there in front of a microphone. Yeah. Uh, my buddy uh, Mark Drenick did, uh, did a blues show for him for years, mm. but and he did it here. He did it with us, and then when we went off the air, he went over to WIOX. They don't want you to send a file. They want you there. Yeah. Bring the music with you. You're playing it here. Well, there certainly is a difference yeah. doing something live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a 40-mile drive each way, <laughs> you know. You're not going to do that in, you know, January 3rd, four feet of snow. That's a commitment. Yeah. I also thought that the justification for having our own FM signal here was that it would serve a public relations function for the college. Uh, you know, it, 
I suppose my own students uh, maybe just don't think in terms of radio anymore, in terms of how they get their information and how they get their music. Uh, that they, uh, and I thought perhaps since everything seems to come out of a six-inch screen nowadays, that uh, perhaps we could revive the idea of an FM signal by uh, creating an app through which the audio can be processed on a phone. Uh, and there's no reason why it couldn't be. Um, just just to, to back up one second, you mentioned public relations. Well, Carol Blazino is the vice president for community relations. She didn't just provide that radio station. She expected the help to be part of the community. When I say the help, I mean the three or four of us that worked there. If there was a Christmas tree lighting downtown, if there was a spelling bee, if there was a cook-off, if there was a Chamber of Commerce dinner, you were going to be there. That's all there was to it. That was just part of your job yeah. was to be there. In terms of the app on the phone, I, I, I think it's pretty easy. We streamed the signal when we when we were on the air. And, uh, um, you know, obviously if you have a streaming service on your phone, you could, you could pick it up. Right. Um, I know that I, on my phone, for example, I have the AtBat uh, app, right. which allows me to listen to any ball game because, you know, they have an MLB package and, I generally listen at home, but if I'm on the road or if I'm working somewhere, mm-hmm. I can get it on the phone. Yeah, certainly you can do that. I, I think we talk a lot about internet radio in my class, in my, my audio production class. And it's probably, I mean, that Spotify is internet radio. Pandora is internet sure. radio. You know, uh, Last FM is internet radio. There's no reason in the world why a radio station can't have that, that function. I mean, I'm just really, this is a podcast, obviously, and I'm just really learning about podcasts. I'm a big fan, for example, of the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Sure. It's great to know that if I'm not listening at 11 o'clock on a Saturday mm-hmm. morning or 6 o'clock on a Sunday night, then I can go online and listen to that podcast yep. anytime I want. Anytime you want. You, you, you want to do a little experiment. It's radio on demand. Well, I, I ask kids in the class, what's your favorite TV show? It, 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 it's never it's never the same as mine, trust me. But if they pick somebody, something like Jane the Virgin, for example, on, I, I think it's on the CW, I say, what time is that on? <laughs> they don't know, and they yeah. don't care. No. Because they can watch it on Hulu, they can watch it on Netflix, and they can watch it. Anytime they want. Yep. Anytime they want. You don't have to be home at 6 to see the 6 o'clock news. And that could be a solution for us in the future is to uh, have a regular podcast, which is, of course, what I'm attempting to create now or a series of conversations mm-hmm. with uh, key people uh, that create an audio picture of SUNY Oneonta, if that's not a mixed metaphor. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. You know, I, I, it's funny because you and I were at a dinner the other night, and I listened to people tell their story about how they came to SUNY Oneonta. And, and some just came because a friend came here and they fell. Other people came sight unseen, no idea what the place looked like, and fell in love with it. There's kind of a special magic about this place. Yeah, I was a student here, and not a very good one, I might add. <laughs> Uh, I didn't. I apparently didn't get my head out of my my backside until many years later. Um, but it, there's some great stories here. Great stories. Um, I I had met a guy 
years ago. I was in a restaurant business for a minute. And I met this guy in Oneana, and his name was uh, Brendan Gill. And Brendan Gill was a writer for The New Yorker. But I never made that connection. I met him. Uh, how often do I read The New Yorker, you know? <laughs> Turns out this guy was like one of the old writers around the Algonquin, you know, the tape round table yeah, the Algonquin. Yeah. Uh, he had, um, he was probably in his 90s by the time I met him. But he had great stories. And yeah. he came here. And uh, I, as far as I know, I, who else knew him besides me? Well, later on I got talking with Pat Meaner, who was a professor in the English department for many years. Pat wrote his autobiography, or wrote his biography. I never knew that. Wow. Yeah, and I wound up introducing uh, uh, him to a, a, a girl that Brendan knew up here, a lot younger, had done uh, like a research assistant for Brendan Gill, mm-hmm. lived over in East Meredith. I wound up getting her and uh, Pat together so we could write some more. It's just, you know, it's a small world. You and I have a mutual friend in uh, Senator Roy McDonald. Yes. Who was at that dinner as a featured guest because he was an alumnus of distinction. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he just has a real soft spot in his heart for Oneonta and wants to maintain that connection because he, back in the late 60s and early 70s, got two degrees here he in between service in Vietnam. I was a student with Roy. I didn't know him very well. He was a Steiner. I was <laughs> in Sigtaw. But I, we had a mutual friend who was a guy I went to high school with, Ron Rossini, who was a good friend of Roy's. And uh, Ron also got drafted. We all got drafted. The two of them went to Vietnam. I went to New Jersey. You know, <laughs> luck of the draw. Uh, Ron Rossini got killed his first year in Vietnam, wow. his first week in Vietnam. Wow. And uh, uh, Roy's never forgotten that. And Roy's always been, along with a big booster of, of Oneana, a big booster of veterans as well. And he's worked very hard to establish a, you know, a veterans memorial here. Uh, you also know that he's talked numerous times with the history department about teaching a, a history of the, the Vietnam conflict. My first really adult, uh, let's say adult, let's say later year uh, memories of Roy was when the, the field house was under construction and they ran out of, they ran out of money. Right. And Roy McDonald got them the last dollars they needed to complete the field house. I don't know how many people really know that. Well, maybe not enough, but he really did go to bat for the college at a time when that extra $10 million was difficult to find. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's a great friend of this college. He loves it here. You know that. I know that. Uh, He'd do anything for this college. Well, one of the, we just have a few more minutes, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was how you have shifted your knowledge of radio into teaching people about the science of audio and the art of audio production. What are the new ways in which the students are appreciating audio editing and audio production in the 21st century? You know, it, it's I, I got to back up a little bit. I was here, obviously, with a radio station, and, and I got to know Guyana pretty well. Um, and Guyana, we had somebody leave, and I remember who it was, and they needed somebody desperately to teach two sections of writing for radio and television. I said, you know, I taught in the military for years, but I, you know, I taught how to lay mines and, you know, <laughs> how to, you know, how to how to prime explosives. This is not something that I'm, you know, too familiar with. She said, well, you wrote news when you were a reporter. And, you know, well, yeah, I did. And, you know, there was, you know, obviously differences of writing for print and, and writing for uh, for broadcast. And she said, well, why don't you give it a try? 
I got started. I, I think I, at one point in time I taught three sections a, a semester along with working at the radio station. And um, Nancy Burnett was uh, was here. And I knew Nancy years ago. Nancy and I had worked on a documentary together way back when on the uh, Cannonsville Reservoir. And I knew her from her days in, in commercial radio as well. And uh, she was getting tired. And, and as you know, Nancy ultimately passed away at a very young age. Yeah. Uh, she said, how familiar are you with Adobe Audition? And uh, when I first started using Adobe Audition, it was called Cool Edit. I remember that. Yeah, Cool Edit. And, and everything was done in Wave. And other than recording and a little bit of editing, you really didn't do much with it. And every year some new feature got added. And by the time you got to, I don't know, 2006 or 2007, it was a pretty nice little tool. And uh, we were using some... When I went into that class and Nancy asked me to teach it, she was using some software called Cakewalk. And I it's still I still have the instruction sheets with it. I have no idea where the program <laughs> actually is. So we put Adobe Audition on those computers and, and and I spent some time learning the updates. Uh, but it's a great program. And I know you've used Audacity and there's a, a, yeah. a there's another Mac program that it's uh, um Jared Stanley showed me the other day that's quite similar. Once you start using Adobe and you figure out how it works, it's it's almost foolproof. Well, I should yeah. never say that because it'll fool me tomorrow. But uh, you know, you can edit, you can do voice shifts, you can you can you know do time stretches. There's so many things that you need in a broadcasting business that are built into this thing. So and, been, and in the 21st century now, so many people are using audio in other ways that are outside of the broadcast industry. Uh, these uh, editing skills, these composition skills using mm-hmm. audio, uh, I think are valuable and transferable to other media. Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Uh, I, I'm astounded by what you can do. And, 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 of course, a lot of the stuff that I do in this, in this audio production class and audio documentary, when I teach that, are things that I, I, I did myself in, in the field or I did with Nancy, for example. Um, uh, and, you know, these kids learn how to do commercials, both with music and with sound effects. Uh, they learn how to do a decent package if they want to be reporters. They learn how to take an interview and tear that into a package. They learn how to do PSAs. And their final project is either a, a drama, radio drama, with mm-hmm. Foley sound effects, which are always fun, <laughs> or a documentary. And I found kids are so passionate about one thing or another. Uh, I've had them do it on their family. I had one kid to do a documentary on putting down the family dog. And I, and I oh, still wow. cry when I think, yeah. think about that. Um, there's, some real, there's some real talent out there in, among these kids. Well, you know, and it... it creates that composition skill concept where you're you're putting a story together and mm-hmm. you're doing it with a medium that uh, is not that easy to work with so it takes some some skill yeah it, but it's an enjoyable thing I, I, if, if I could have picked anything to do with my life this probably would have been it you know and at this age at 72 you're supposed to know what you're doing you know? <laughs> and people say uh, did you grow up in Oneana I'd say I'm still growing up in Oneana. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today, Gary. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tim.